Acts chapter 6, verse 1 is where we are today. The story takes a little bit of a turn this morning. So far, it has been all about the apostles preaching and teaching. It's been about them getting in all kinds of trouble with the, with the civil and the religious leadership in the temple. It's been about them continuing to preach and teach. They've gotten beat up. They've gotten thrown in jail overnight. They've had all kinds of reasons to stop, but they can't. They can't stop. They have to keep preaching about Jesus. And the thing that we've seen over and over and over is that the church continues to grow. The more that they preach Jesus, the more the church grows. And so we don't know exactly at this point. Uh, we've gotten the number 3,000 and the number 5,000. And then it says that, that God kept adding. And so somewhere between eight and 10,000 people is the size of the Christian church in Jerusalem at this point. That's a lot of people. That's a really big church. There's 12 apostles that are leading it. And there's all of these people from all these different backgrounds that have come to faith. And so what we're going to see this morning is it isn't the religious leaders that are going to cause the, the ripples for them today. It's the people from within the church. See, they've gone from being this movement that's just swept away. And all of these people are meeting and experiencing Jesus. And now there's expectations. Now people are starting to think, well, you know, this is kind of how we've always done it, even though they're about two months old. We've always done it this way. And so this is what we expect. And they've become a church. And that's what happens is, as churches grow and as, as they get to become more people, what, what ends up happening is we start having expectations and we think, well, this is how it has to be. And today we're going to see what happens when something inside the church causes a problem. So we're going to go uh, Acts 6, verse 1. If you've got your Bibles, please read along with me. Now, in those, these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man of full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. There's a lot going on there. There's a lot more going on than what we necessarily see. And so there's only seven verses, so let's go slow. Let's take them apart and let's see what's happening. Chapter 6, verse 1. In these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. There is a simplest disagreement that reveals a much bigger situation. And it's one that speaks to us in every church still today. The first thing is there's a word there that probably doesn't sound familiar to the Hellenists. Who were they? There was the Hellenists and the Hebrews. Both of them were Jewish, but the Hellenists spoke Greek. The Hebrews spoke Jewish. And so there's a, there's a, or spoke Hebrew. 
And so there's a difference between them. And people being who people are, they created a bit of a division. Well, these speak Greek and these speak Hebrew, and so they're not the same, even though they're all a part of the same church, and we do it today. For one reason or another, we find a way to separate ourselves out from other people. And, and yet it says in this church that they have been of one heart and one soul. And that's happened all the way along. There was the one bump when the one couple, Ananias and Sapphira, decided to lie. But everyone else was of the same heart and soul. And now it appears that they no longer are because they've decided there's a difference between the Greek speakers and the Hebrew speakers. It seems that old loyalties as old prejudices die hard. That's what we're looking at. But the most obvious thing isn't just in the strange language there, right? The most obvious thing is the disagreement. The Greek speakers and the Hebrew speakers are dividing themselves because basically the Hellenists, the Greek-speaking Jews, are saying it isn't fair. It's not fair. It isn't fair because you're feeding them more and different stuff than you're feeding our widows. We agreed we were going to take care of everybody. It isn't fair. And in 2,000 years of the church, the cry, it isn't fair, is heard in every church everywhere. It isn't power that, it isn't fair that he gets to decide all that. It isn't fair that she got to pick that color. It isn't fair that they get to do the fun stuff. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. It isn't fair. The first argument was it isn't fair. See, the, the, the Greek speaking Jews are pointing to the, the Hebrew speaking Jews and say, you know what? You're giving them, you're giving them the surf and turf dinner and our widows are getting hot dogs. It isn't fair. And so the disciples have to take it seriously because all of a sudden there's an uprising in this church and and the church is growing. But because it's growing, when people suddenly are no longer of one heart and soul, problems that are not a very big deal suddenly become a really big deal. But the thing is this, the fact that churches grow and people get uncomfortable is still an issue today. And what we know is when the word of God is preached, The church is going to grow. So in this church, lives are being transformed. Jesus is being preached. Miracles are happening. People are being saved. There are baptisms going on. They didn't have a Bible, but if they did, they would be preaching the Bible. Instead, they're living it and we're reading about it. And when that happens, the church grows because God is alive among the people. But not everybody likes that. Not everybody likes when churches grow. See, sometimes we like churches to be just the size they are when we found them. And so sometimes we claim it isn't fair to to maybe work against the church growing and we come up with this and that and we're going to do what we can to make sure it doesn't get too big. But where the Word of God is preached and where God has placed His name, that church is going to grow. And this church is growing 10,000 people when this argument starts happening. There are churches, and there really are. I've seen them. I'm aware of them. There's churches that do everything that they can to make sure that they don't grow. They don't advertise. They they don't go out and spread the good news in the community. And when visitors come, they are not warmly welcomed. You've maybe been to one of those churches. And the reason is, and I asked one of them, and and this was the, the answer that I was given. We like who we are. We like the size that we are, and we like the people that come here. We're comfortable with this. If we grew, we might not know and like the people. And I think, what is the point then of your being a church? 
Isn't the idea that we want to reach as many people we can with the good news of Jesus, the good news of God's love for us in Jesus? Sometimes we need to be reminded that the church isn't about what I want. The church is about what God wants and what God wants us to do for him through the church. How it is that we can live out the love of Jesus for people. And so the apostles, they understand this. They realize that they've got to take this cry of it's not fair and they need to they need to deal with it. Because the most important thing is they need to continue to preach Jesus. Verse 2, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It isn't right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. It isn't that serving tables was beneath them. It is that that was not their gifting or their calling. And it's important that we understand that. When you go back to what they say, they summon the full number of disciples. Uh, We don't know how many people that was, but it wasn't the full 10,000. There are some group of people between the 12 and the 8 or 10,000 that were the disciples. That was the number that they called in. And they said, we've got to fix this problem. See, despite the grumbling and despite the cries of it isn't fair, the disciples knew that the most important thing that they could do was to continue to pray for the church, the people of the church, and to preach the good news of Jesus. But they also knew they had to deal with this problem. See, one of the lessons that that every preacher learns real quickly, and boy, have I learned this lesson, no preacher can do everything. You don't want them to. If you do, you've got a church of about 12, maybe just your family. If you try to do everything, you're going to do everything poorly. And see, that's not God's design for the church. God's design for the church is that he sent us his Holy Spirit and gifted everybody who believes in Jesus with something, an ability, and uh, not a natural ability, but a spiritual gift ability to do something in the church to make the church better, to make the church carry out the call that God has placed on it. See, the 12, they knew what they were called to do. They were called to lead and to preach and to pray. And the church had grown because they did that faithfully. They knew what their gifts were, and they knew that their gifts weren't serving people. And and see, the thing with the Holy Spirit is, the Holy Spirit knows that we need all of the gifts in the church in order for the church to be what God has called it to be. Let's say that we were a church of 400 people. We're, We're larger than that. But let's say we were 400, and 300 of the people who called this place home wanted to be preachers. And there was a hundred people that all together had the gift of uh, intercession and leadership and had the gift of mercy and serving and, and, uh, and had hearts of welcoming. But 300 of them wanted to be preachers. What would a Sunday morning look like? 300 people trying to fit up here to preach a sermon with nobody listening. That's not God's plan for the church. God's plan for the church is that we're all given spiritual gifts. And when we understand them and we embrace them and when we use them, all of the needs of all of the people are met according to what God has called the church to do. That's why it's so important that we invite and welcome the Holy Spirit all the time. It's the same reason that God has called us to tithe. See, God puts a call on a church. God gives gives a vision and a mission to a church. There's a purpose that every church exists for. And and while the Great Commission is true of all of us, every church has a little bit of a different call. And when God talks about the tithe, the tithe is when we are faithful and give 10% back to the church, the church is able to carry out the entire ministry that God has called them to. There's going to be just enough money. But when people choose not to tithe, it puts the leaders and the elders and the pastors and the people who have to lead the ministries in the position of deciding who are we not going to reach, who are we not going to serve because we can't afford to. But that wasn't God's plan for the church. 
God's plan for the church, just like spiritual gifts, God created an ability for churches to accomplish exactly what he called them to. And it's called the tithe. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, and in this sense it also means sisters. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint, appoint to this duty. They decide they're going to they're choose seven men, and their job is going to be to take care of serving. Their job is going to be to pray for the people, but to take care of the people, to make sure that the needs, needs get met and they get met fairly. The Open Door Christian Church is led by seven men. And the reason that we have that number, the reason that we chose that, is from this verse in the book of Acts. This is what they did. They chose seven to lead. They chose seven to take care of the serving. That way no, nobody gets left out. It's an impossible job if seven people have to do it on their own. But with spiritual gifts and, and seven people overseeing it, if the whole church is involved, if everybody has one heart and one soul, they can go back to being a church where all the needs of, are met and no one is left behind. It turns out after this, we don't hear this issue again. Those seven men did a good job of leading this church and making sure the needs were being met. There's a story in the Old Testament. The guy's name is Moses. He was the one that God sent to Pharaoh to bring the people out of uh, Egypt. Moses didn't want to go because he didn't, he didn't think uh, he was a very good speaker. He, the Bible says he had a, some sort of a speech impediment. But he gathers up the people and God releases them from Egypt and off they go and they're wandering in the wilderness because they just can't get along. They can't agree. They want to go back to where they were. They thought life was better when they were slaves in Egypt. And Moses is ending up spending all of his time as the leader overseeing disputes, just like this one in the church. And so these guys in Acts, they learn something from Moses. So Moses spends all of his days when he should be praying for and leading the people, seeking God's direction and gathering the people to move forward. He spends all of his time overseeing the disputes. He's acting what the Bible says as judge of the people. So when they have a complaint, when someone says it's not fair, I don't like what so-and-so is doing, or this is what they did to me, or they, they took something that was mine, they'd bring it to Moses and he'd make a decision. And he'd say, this is what you're going to do. And he was spending all of his time doing it until a man named Jethro, Jethro was his father-in-law, wasn't even a Hebrew man. He comes to him and he says, this thing that you're doing isn't good. The work is too heavy for you. And, and essentially what he's saying to Moses is, you're not working in your gifting. You're trying to do all of the work that everyone else should be doing, and you're trying to do it yourself. He says, so choose men, some by the thousands, some by the hundreds, some by the fifties, some by the tens. Assign those men, and they will hear the cases. And when they have cases that they can decide and that they can settle the disputes, then everybody goes, and life is good. But the ones that they can't, they can bring those to you, and you'll hear those cases. Moses says, this is a good idea. It's delegation. That's what's happening with these elders. What they do is they, they delegate seven men, just the way Jethro told Moses, you've got to delegate men to do this work for you. And so in verse 6, the, the uh, apostles go on and they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The 12 people do what had gotten the church to the place of 10,000. And that was they prayed for the people and they preached the good news of Jesus. They didn't talk about themselves. They didn't say how great they were. They preached the good news of Jesus. Jesus. They stuck to the word. And where God's word is preached, people are being saved. Lives are being transformed. People are understanding and experiencing salvation. Those churches are going to grow. 
Those churches are going to grow because that's God's biblical model for what churches should do. And so what happens with us as people, we go, well, my church is growing, but I don't like it. It's gotten too big. Guess what? It isn't about you. Churches are about those people that God has called us to reach. When we started out, we were seven. We're not seven people anymore. And I'm so grateful because I wouldn't know most of you. See, God has put a call on us. He, he gave us a mission. And then he called us into ministry. And he placed his name here and we've become a movement. And so we're not the small church that we used to be only because we continue to preach the truth of God's word and lives are being transformed by Jesus. In verse 5, what they said pleased the whole gathering and they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Those seven men became the first elders in the first Christian church ever. They became the elders. We have seven elders at the Open Door Christian Church who are in the model, in the example of these seven men. We want to keep ourselves as closely aligned to the Bible and the book of Acts as we can. So what do these elders do? Their job is to pray for you, and they do. Their job is to seek God's heart and to discern God's will. And, and their job is to, to ask God, where are you leading us and where are you taking us and how do we follow you and not go off onto our own? Because there's a whole lot of temptations and a whole lot of options that we could do as a church. And what they do is they faithfully pray through those. And, and the decisions that they make don't always make sense because we don't always have the money. We don't always have the people. But you know what? God has always been there and provided and in 11 years, the history is not a history as we've gone through different people who've served as elders. The history isn't that we've made a whole bunch of great choices. The history is that we have prayerfully followed and discerned God's will. And we are where we are because God has placed his name here. And so these guys, these, these seven men, we've just added a seventh, and I'll tell you about him in a moment. They make all the decisions about staffing about property, about development, about direction. When, when we've got policy decisions that need to be made, these guys are the ones that sit down in a room and, and we talk about it and we pray through it until a decision is reached. Sometimes we say, you know what, we don't have time tonight. Let's pray over it for the next month and let's talk about it next month. You are prayed for by seven men who love you even if they don't know your name. Because they love the church that we all call home. They love the family that is the open door. And so I'm going to ask these guys to come forward uh, if you're here. The elders are Brian Orston. Uh, Pete Johnson serves as the vice president. Taylor Marcus, you guys can come up here if you would. Taylor Marcus, Norm Calvin, but he's out of town right now. Jaden Baker and Scott Voss. And then we've got a seventh and he has just joined us. His name is Jeremy Peterson. And we all got a text last night from Jeremy because Jeremy said, Jen just had a baby. I'm not going to make it tomorrow. We thought that was a really lousy excuse, but we let him have it. So congratulations to Jeremy and to Jen. These guys are the men who lead this place, and they don't do it for fame and fortune. They don't do it for paycheck. They do it because they love Jesus and they love you. And they are in the line of a lot of faithful people who have come before them, who have brought this church to where it is. And let me just tell you the kind of decisions that they get faced with. They get faced with the decisions of us needing more space and going out looking for 10 acres of land and having the people we talk to say, you know what, 10 acres isn't enough, but we have 70. And we said, well, we can't afford that. And they said, well, you know, we think that you've got a call. You've got a vision from God that you need 70 acres for. And these men who are the elders trusted God and said, we don't have the money, but if that's where you're leading God, let's go. 
We've made financial decisions. We've made decisions uh, about projects that we were going to take on that we didn't have any idea who was going to do it. But they said, if that's what God is calling us to, and you know what? The people showed up. Suddenly these crazy skills and gifts and talents and abilities that nobody knew people had, they were here all along. But because these men were faithful and said, yeah, God, that's where you're leading us to. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going to follow. And so what I'm going to invite you to do, and, and maybe, maybe because of COVID you don't want to do this, and that's okay. Maybe because this isn't your culture in church, that's okay too. But I'm going to ask these six guys, and then you're going to have to just imagine, Jeremy, one, two, three, four, five guys, because Norm isn't here. Stand down here if you would, and we're going to do the good old-fashioned Bible thing. And if you are open to this, if you are willing to this, please come forward. We're going to do just like happens in the book of Acts. Come and lay your hands on these guys, and let's pray for them. So yeah, come on forward. Just be brave and walk on up here. These are the guys that spend their, their time praying for you, even if they haven't met you. They're the ones that, that pray about the people that this church is supposed to reach that we haven't found and haven't reached yet. They're the ones that pray about money that we need that we don't have. They're the ones that pray about staffing positions that we feel pinches of, and we don't know how we're going to afford it. And so if you would, hey, you guys want to step forward? Elders, step forward a little bit. That way people can get behind you too. And this is cool. When we do this right, you know what? we got people in the aisles, and that's awesome. So come on down. This is your church, and these are your elders. If there's staff team here, I'd ask you to please come down as well. And then if you're just far enough away, if you want to just put your hand on the shoulder in front of you, that's the way we do it. If you're at home, you know what? No one's watching. You can put a hand out and you can pray for them right where you are. In the book of Acts, it says this. They laid hands on, they prayed and they laid their hands on them. And so here your elders are. They're set before you and we're going to lay our hands and pray for them. So would you please pray with me? Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for how faithful you are. Thank you that you placed your name on this church years ago. God, thank you for the men and the women who you have put in positions to lead this church. Thank you for these seven men who now lead it that we call our elders. God, thank you for their faith. Thank you for their love for you, for this church, for the people who call this place home, and for the people we haven't even met yet. God, I've got the privilege of working alongside these men. I've got the privilege of hearing their hearts and listening to their prayers and to knowing, knowing just the way that they, they agonize over things that, that they want to do right by you. God, I thank you that they take this so seriously. It takes time and effort that, that none of them have any extra of, but they, they willingly give it. They give it because they love you. They believe in what it is that you've called this church to do to reach this area in the world for you. And God, we've got big decisions ahead. We've got, we've got big decisions to make about where you're calling us in the future. And so God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be on these men, that he would continue to fill them because I have witnessed that he already is in every one of them. God, that your Holy Spirit would continue to fill this men, that, men, that you would give them wisdom, that you would give them discernment. God, that you would give them an understanding and a knowledge that you would give them confidence and boldness that can only come from your Holy Spirit, God, because what you have called us to is, is more, than, more than just carrying out ministries. God, you've called us to be a church that is a movement. It's a movement of changing the culture and, and simply preaching the good news of Jesus when our world is so desperate to hear it. I thank you for these men. I thank you for Norm and Jeremy that are not able to be here now. Uh, I thank you for Jeremy and Jen and the new little boy that you've just given them. God, and I pray that you would bless these guys, that you would, that you would carry them through. God, we know that uh, they face struggles and difficulties because Satan doesn't want them to commit themselves to you the way that they do. And so I just pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would go before them, that he would protect them, and that he would bless them. 
It's in Jesus' name that we all get to pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all and thank you elders. If you don't know these guys, I would really encourage you to get to know them. They are amazing men on their own right, but they are amazing men of God, and they truly do love this church, and they love the people who come here. They love the communities around us, and they are passionate about reaching people for Jesus. So we go on, Acts chapter 6, verse 7. It says, and the word of God continued to increase. Why? Because the elders and the apostles did what God called them to do. It wasn't rocket science. They did the simple things and they did them well. And the word of God continued to increase. They continued to preach and to live Jesus. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. What happens when they address a problem directly and honestly? They're allowed to continue to preach the good news of Jesus and people continue to be reached and lives continue to be changed. The church continued to grow even though the problem that was raised was because some people felt the church got too big. But it says the church continued to grow. Even the priests, the religious people that thought they had it all figured out. It wasn't too late for some of them. Religious men who have heard the truth of God's love in Jesus repented of their ways and accepted Jesus as their Savior and began to be obedient to His teaching. It's never too late. No matter where you are, no matter where you've, what you've done with your life, it is not too late for you. But sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes in the church we get more concerned about us and what our needs are and, and proclaiming that it isn't fair. There was a man a, a number of years ago, most of you have heard of him, Mahatma Gandhi was his name. You know him to be a Hindu man from India. But there was a time in history that that wasn't going to be the case. Gandhi, when he was in university, decided that as a moral man and as a, as a religious man and as a man that wanted to take care of the earth, he realized that the greatest way to do that, the greatest way for one man to make a large difference is to be a part of a religion. And he, he understood that, that there's a lot more power in a whole lot of people that are pursuing the same thing than there is in one man who's pursuing the same thing. And so he set about reading all of the, the famous religious books, understanding as much as he could about world religions. He read the Bible. He read the Quran. He read the Gita. He read all about Buddha. And he read what the uh, Confucius writings were. He read everything he could get his hands on. And at the end of that, what he determined was the single greatest movement that makes the most sense morally and for the world, and especially for the people of the world, was the movement that had begun by, been begun by a man named Jesus. That the simple way that he discipled a small group of people, gave of himself fully and freely, that was the way to make the biggest difference in the world. And so Gandhi set out to find Christian community because he realized that he could do the most with his life by becoming a Christian and involving himself in a Christian community, community full of like-minded people. And so see, he set out and he found one. He found a few of them, actually. And what he found is that the Christians in those communities proudly proclaimed the name of Jesus. They, they called themselves Christians, but he couldn't find any that lived a life that was consistent with what Jesus taught. And he got confused why in the world do these people give their life and call themselves a Christian when they don't actually believe it or live it. 
And so Gandhi went home very disillusioned, and he became a Hindu. And that's the story that we know of him. A man who is deeply religious, who is kind, who is gentle. And if you think about him, if you've ever read anything about him, wow, there was a lot of his attributes that were a lot like Jesus. He tried. But as Christians, we let him down. There's a a saying, and and, uh, I can't find it anywhere. It's never actually been written that it's attributed to him, but kind of history says that he said it. And so I'm not going to say that he did, but let's say that it makes sense, right? His phrase that he has been attributed to is this. I like your Christ. It is your Christians I do not like. They're so unlike your Christ. Ouch. I've been to that church. I've been to the church that I could have made that statement myself. My guess is if you've been in the Christian church very long, so have you. I like your Christ. It is your Christians I do not like. They are so unlike your Christ. And I wonder what people see of me. I wonder what they see of my life. And I I think, wow, I am sometimes the worst example of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. I'm glad that he forgives me of my sins. I wonder about you. Do, Do people know Christ through you? Do they know what you believe because of how you live and what you say? Do they know that you follow Jesus because that's what everything in your life speaks to? I wonder if if Gandhi came back. I wonder what he would think of the churches in America today. Makes me sad to think. But I would like to believe that it's not too late for us, that we have a chance to be a church that Gandhi would see Jesus. That he would meet people who don't just believe in Jesus, but who live like him. And so that's why we teach the Bible. It's why we talk about the the fun stuff, the challenging stuff, and the hard stuff. Because we can't be people who follow Jesus if we don't know what Jesus says. So when we teach the warm and the fuzzy and the feel-good words of Jesus and and the the feel-good words of the Psalms, is because we want you to know the truth of God's love for you in Jesus. When these elders lead, everything that they do wants to to show you and to live the truth of God's love for you in Jesus. The decisions that they make, and they're not all easy ones, some of them are challenging, some of them are difficult. It's because they want you to know the truth of God's love for you in Jesus. When we teach the hard-to-hear words, and there is some scripture that's hard to hear, if you're living in the wrong place... It's almost impossible because we we read about our stubbornness and our selfishness and our sinfulness. And when we do that, it's because we want you to know the truth of God's love for you in Jesus. When we teach about our pride and our failings and how easy it is for us to slip into sin, it isn't because we want you to feel guilty. It isn't because we want you to feel bad about yourself. It's because we want to shine the light of truth That is God's love for you in Jesus. And maybe the only place that you're ever going to hear it is here. When we talk about tithing, and and very few people who don't tithe want to hear about tithing. Tithers are always happy to hear about it and they say, I hope more people can, can actually embrace this because it's changed my life. But when we talk about tithing, I always hear about it. Why? Because 10% feels like so much of our money. And yet God only asks us to trust him with 10%. He gives us the 90%. We get to keep that on our own. When we talk about tithing, it's because we want you to know the love of God for you in Jesus. 
When we talk about being committed to being a church like the church that we see in the book of Acts, even though we will fail, we will struggle, we will not get it right. People will cry, it's not fair, and they'll be right. People will cry, you forgot about me, and we will have. People will say, well, you didn't, and they may be right. But we are committed to being a church like the church that's in the book of Acts because we want to do our very best to show the world around us the love of God for them in Jesus. And that's what we see happening in this passage. If Gandhi were to have come to the Open Door Christian Church today, I wonder what he would experience. If Gandhi were to say, can I just hang out with you people for a week? Can I just follow some of you? Go to work, go to your houses, go to where you hang out on Friday and Saturday nights. Can I just kind of hang out and see what it is to be a Christian with you? I wonder what he'd see. I want to believe that he would see a church full of people that he says, you know what? I like your Jesus and I really like the way you Christians live for him. You live like you actually believe it. We have a chance to be that church. If you're somebody who's new to the open door, maybe you're exploring, you're wondering, you heard about us, you're, you're here. Thank you for visiting. Thank you for seeing for yourself. We're not claiming to be perfect people. But we do lovingly serve a perfect God. And what we want to do is keep first things first. And the first thing isn't the wants or it's not fair. We need to deal with those. The first thing is that we need to preach the truth of God's word because we get to see God's love in action. And we want you to know God's love for you in Jesus. We're not always going to get it right, but it's a goal worth living for. At the end of the day, what do our elders do? They want to make sure that everything we do is about proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And so whether you've been here for a long time or whether you're brand new or not even sure this is your church home, what I want to do is, number one, say, if you're looking for a church, find a church that teaches the Bible. Anything else isn't worth your time, but it's not going to last you through eternity. There can be great sermons. They can make you feel really good. and They can talk about happiness and they can talk about about change and self-help. And that's all wonderful. But you know what? That's going to stop right where your money stops the day you die. You can't take that stuff to heaven. Find a church that teaches you and preaches the Bible and the Bible alone. Because in the Bible, we see God's love for us in Jesus. We're trying our very best to get that right. That's why we try to do those simple three things as well as we can do them. We want to love Jesus and love people and teach people to love Jesus. And how do we do that? We stick to teaching God's word and being people of prayer and worshiping. See, we think all of that is worth giving our life for because Jesus gave his life for us. So how do we work to show you God's love for you and Jesus? We recognize that God has called us to a mission. It's called the Great Commission. We're supposed to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. And then specifically, God has called us to ministry. God has called us to to reaching the people of our area and changing the culture for the good news of Jesus, for being a biblically authentic church. And finally, God uses all of that because he's called us to a movement. God has called us to be a movement in this area, reaching the people that you, you spend your time with at work, that you spend your time with when you're doing things for fun, the people on Friday and Saturday night, your families. God has called us to be a movement of people who reach all of those folks with God's love for them in Jesus. That's who we are, and that's what we're about. And if you're looking for a church home, and that's what you want to be about, you have our word, our promise to do our very best to do that. Our elders are here to, to make sure that that is what we pursue, that we pursue God's heart, and God's heart is that everyone knows Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage from Acts. 
Thank you for uh, the squabble that happened in the early church because there's so much for us to learn from it. God, when people say it's not fair, it doesn't mean they're complainers. It might mean that we have to listen because we're missing something. When someone says you forgot about me or you ignored me, it doesn't mean they're a complainer. It might mean that we really did miss them or ignore them. When someone brings something that we don't like to hear, it doesn't mean that they're the squeaky wheel. It may mean that we need to pay more attention. God, thank you that you've given us in the book of Acts a model for what the church can be, what we can expect as those apostles just lit it on fire in the early days of that church, preaching Jesus, meeting people's needs, gathering community and creating a sense of family in Jesus' name. God, help us to get that right. Help us to be people who are humble when we need to apologize and ask for forgiveness. And help us to be people who are fierce in pursuing you. God, we know that your greatest desire is that everyone, everyone, have an opportunity to know who Jesus is and to give their life to him. To repent of their sins, to be forgiven, and to become a disciple. God, we just want to be a church that teaches that, that preaches that, and that lives that. God, in your Holy Spirit, because we know it's in in him only, that we come to faith and that we can live in faith and live as people of faith. God, we ask that he would be ever-present in this place and in each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.